love stories about people getting started and how it's not easy. And you were a door-to-door -door salesman <laughs> at one point, probably not that long ago. Oh, God, yeah. It's, I still have nightmares about it, so it couldn't have been that long ago. This is Hollywood mega-hunk Chris Pratt, appearing on The Conan O'Brien Show. As far as I can tell, I'm observing all the rules of copyright fair use here, so Conan, if you're listening, please don't sue me. <laughs> what, what, what kind of door-to-door -door salesman were you? I was, uh, I sold coupons. It was one of these kind of multi-level marketing schemes where if you work really hard and make your boss a lot of money, one day you could have your own office. And I did it for two years. I was from the time I was uh, 18 to 20 and I ended up opening my own office. And I So you were good. I was good, I was a good salesman. This is a really funny clip and everybody's laughing, but if you YouTube it, you can see the pain in Chris Pratt's eyes. And he talks about his time in the business. Uh, we had a chant that we did every morning. I'd, we'd have a morning meeting at 7.15 every day, and I'd come in with my coffee. And I'd say, tell me how you're feeling! And it was written on the wall. And, and most of the people who were there were new, because almost nobody lasted more than like Constant a week. Constant turnover. Constant turnover. Yeah. And people would say, you read along with, on the wall, and you say... Fantastic, terrific, great, oh yeah, strong juice, baby sucker, I feel wonderful, right on, right on, right on, juice, 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 ooh, wah, wah, I feel great, I feel great, ooh, wah, wah, let's kick some ass, kick some ass, who's number one, we are, who's number two, who cares? And then you'd say, now let's go sell coupons. Yeah. Chris Pratt is obviously a charming, handsome, hardworking, intelligent, charismatic guy with a great sense of humor. So it's crazy to think that it was easier for him to enter the upper echelon of Hollywood mega hunks than it was for him to succeed in the business. And he's not alone. Most, if not all of these businesses fail at some point. There are dumb owners and there are smart ones. There are good salespeople and there are bad ones. But the one thing they all seem to have in common is that the business eventually crushes them. But I've not really been able to figure out how the business can endure and thrive and grow and succeed even as all the businesses that comprise it fail. The only answer that's ever made any sense to me is that those owners are actually the customers and their only job is to bring more customers like themselves into the business. And the selling of direct TV contracts or the soliciting of third-party donations to charity is no different than the hustling of colorful leggings or scented oils. It's, it's just a MacGuffin to distract from the real product being sold to the employees, which is the dream of wealth and success. And the only way to attain that wealth is to convince others that they can attain it too by becoming an employee. What, so, okay, the first, my first kind of experience with the business was I uh, went in and talked to one of these owners at, for a job interview, and he was telling me all about it. And then I had already done a little research and knew it was a smart circle company, so I was asking him about how it worked. And he told me that when he got promoted out, uh, he had to have uh, was that the, the business, he sets up 5, the business 000. account. Five, okay, so let's go over this, because he told me, and I think... Here's what I think from talking to a lot of people that there is no set rule. The rule, no, it changes. These yeah, rules yeah. are flexible based 100%. on whatever it takes to keep you roped into the business. Hundred you know? percent. Whatever you're capable okay. of reaching is the goal. If the guy's good, it's five thousand. If he's like a pro, they're gonna be like, you need ten G saved up. If the guy's garbage, the goal is gonna be two thousand. The way I was told it was is you need to be able to show that you can save money. And this is also how I train my employees too, and my outside deals that I had. I said, you guys need to show me that you can manage money properly. It's one thing to make a $1,000 paycheck a week, but it's another thing to save half of it every single week. So I need to see that you can now earn income, lots of money, big paychecks, but be able to save it, put it away. Because if you can't save money in your own personal bank account, how on earth are you about to do it with this business account? That business account is then used to pay for your new business expenses. Some of those are legit and common to all kinds of businesses, like rent, electricity, or payroll. But a lot of these expenses are unique to the business, and they include all kind of hidden costs that are never mentioned in the hours and hours and hours and hours of opportunity meetings. These expenses fall into several broad categories that we'll learn more about. The first category includes things that a normal company would pay for, but the business expects you to pay for yourself. 
Things like transportation to other cities, meals on your business trip, or business conferences. The second category includes expenses where the business literally requires owners to make purchases from them. This can include tickets to a beach resort that they've booked, or refurbished iPads they've acquired, or proprietary apps that they've developed for their own internal use. And the third category of hidden costs involves money that's channeled to quasi-third-party individuals who are selling services to the owners. This includes things like a cloned website, or the posting of spam job ads, or the scheduling of interviews, or the financial management of your new business account. Okay, so... So, because here's what the tricky thing is, is like, they'll say, oh, we're not an MLM because we don't have a buy-in. Like, you don't buy an inventory like you used to do in the old days of Sidcor. But isn't this a buy-in? So, no, I didn't. I, that was my money. It was 100% my bank, my personal savings account. Like, they didn't touch it. It was all my money. Um, and then from there, again, what the business is supposed to offer is the owner is supposed to pay for, like, 75% of your stuff to get started. And that's a good owner. If he, if he covers like 70 to 80% of your entire setup, that means he is awesome. Like he helps you out so much completely out of his pocket. He's about to make almost nothing back off of that because out of the amount of failed outside deals, he doesn't know that number yet. And he thinks I'm about to make this $7,000 investment back, which is what I lost on my second outside deal. So when a new office opens, the new owner is expected to have several grand in the business account, and the promoting owner is supposed to pay several grand out of his pocket to set up that outside deal. But the business itself, Smart Circle, Sidcore, Credico, it doesn't seem like they make any financial investment in this new office opening. And therefore, they've absolved themselves from any of the financial risk. My bank account was 100% mine. Even when I closed down my business and left, like I kept my $700 that was left. That's my money. And the hub manager that I paid $65 a week to manage my money, oh, she was my employee. She's on my payroll as my employee. Um, she's technically not employed by Smart Circle. I found out later, though, that that is a great job to have. I would have loved to have been a, a, a HR office manager like these guys were. 65 a week per every office you manage. Oh, yeah, do the numbers there. <laughs> manage 10 offices. You're doing really well on the side for doing very little work. <laughs> so what are you paying $65 a week for, and where does that person work? What office are they in? So she's not in an office. I've met her. Yeah, so my girl was in a girl named... Uh, let's just, I'm not going to say her name, last name. But yeah, totally, but totally. Lauren, yeah. she was a great girl. Uh, older than me, of course. She's probably late 30s. She had two or three kids. Um, she worked from home. She's apparently been in the smart circle industry for like 10 years as a hub manager for multiple, multiple, multiple owners over the time. So she's seen them come and go. So, you know, she's got her heart in it, but also not in it, you know, because she doesn't care one bit if they leave. But at the same time, she kind of cares while they're still there, right? She was always nice to me about it and really helped me when I was low on money because a lot of time my business was negative, like almost, I mean, eight, nine months in a row sometimes. I'd be sitting negative 2,000, 3,000 in my bank account and Smart Circle loans you the money to keep you in business. And at that point, you know, I don't want to use the word enslaved, but, you know, they just, they, they've got you. So I guess that's what happened to all those CEOs I met here in Chattanooga, like Anthony and Mike and Matt and Isaac whose offices were abruptly shut down, but they didn't seem to leave the business. Maybe behind all those happy, smiling pictures on their social media, they were desperately slaving away to try and work off their financial debts to the business. And, of course, to save up another few grand in their business account so they can try it all again. Back to the hub thing. Hub managers are just regular people. They're usually accountants. They've got an accounting degree, or they know what they're doing with accounting things, and they manage my all my bills. I didn't have to pay anything. I didn't pay my electric or gas or anything. Once she handled all of it, she set it up for me, managed the passwords, managed those things. And I paid her $65 a week to take care of all of my financial things behind the scenes. And I really appreciated that because I did not know how to do a single thing. <laughs> Was she, so did smart circle introduce you to her? Oh yeah. So actually okay. my promoting owners, promoting owner, introduced me because he used her as well and had a couple of his outside deals using her. When she started with me, she had around 12 outside deals she was managing. By the time I finished, I think she still had six or seven and she was trying to get a few more. And so is that kind of similar to like all the motivational memes and social media stuff that they're all posting? Are they like, is there like, 
So a hub... Smart Circle hooks you up. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the hub is, I mean, a complete third-party individual. Um, they're usually somebody who was in the business or knew somebody in the business and left the business. And we're smart enough to realize there's still ways to make money off some of these fools. Uh, and they took advantage of that. And yeah, like I said, that's a great... I would have I would have loved to have that gig. I even asked her towards the end. I said, how do I become a hub manager? And she laughed. She goes, honestly, you're not going to be one. It's short and few. And we, the few of us that are still here, oh, we fight over the owners. <laughs> Because think how much money, again, that is when you have 50 owners under you and they don't know that and you do very little work for them. It takes an hour a day probably to do all that financial stuff. really wasn't that hard. It's all automated. Right. Okay. See, okay. I've got other questions, but we're kind of getting to a big one here, which is really confusing to me, which is like, okay, so if it was any other business, let's say Subway Sandwich or whatever, like if they open... 10 in Chattanooga. Yeah. Right? And every year it uh, it fails. And for 10 years they open a new one every year and that one fails. Like at some point they're like, we're losing so much money by doing this. It makes no sense for us to continue to do this. But Smart Circle continues to do it, which to me means they can't be losing money oh, by not. having you guys. So it, to me, in, in my mind, it means they're making money off you guys opening offices. And that's what I'm curious is how do they make money off of the owner failing? Like, if you open an office and it fails... They don't. How are they making money off of that? So, actually, they wouldn't. So, I'm, I'm pretty sure the way that Smart Circle and Sidcore and all of those, the bigger, large companies that now manage the contracts, what they make money off of is just that. The contract they have set in place with the client. Say, DirecTV, for example, uh, they wanted us in every single Sam's Club and Costco in the country. Fair game. That means those are all markets now. That means everyone needs to be staffed. And for Smart Circle to what? Maintain the contract? They must staff that location. So they don't care if it costs them $20,000 to loan this guy or have this guy fail and three years fill that market with 16 people. It is more important for them to maintain that contract that's worth millions than just the quick 20 grand they lost in a year off that one office. And that's especially true because the 20 grand lost on that office wasn't wagered by Smart Circle. It was wagered by the new owner with his business account and the promoting owner who was paying all the costs out of pocket to set up that new office. And it was paid by the regional or national consultants above them when they loaned that owner enough money to stay afloat. And I spoke to a guy that actually owned a DirecTV company and or sold door-to-door DirecTV and was not associated with any of these organizations. I asked him what he made, and he said a little over 400. So again, there it is. So if he's making, let's call it 420 per install from actual DirecTV, no middleman, and they're paying, say, even me for 350, well, look at that. Smart Circle just profited off of just one sale around anywhere 60, 70, 80 dollars, depending on the owner. Now multiply that times. Uh, we sold 6,000, 6,500 DirecTV per day. Okay. So there's their, let's call it 90 per each one of those, <laughs> 6,000 a day. Now that's one of their contracts. Now they have Samsung, Apple, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint. I mean, the list goes on and on from telecommunications to all sorts of things. And every one of those sales from each one of those offices, from the thousands of them, they get a piece of the top. And of course, the actual contract money itself. So that's how they're making money, man. They're, they're not losing a cent off of a $20,000 loss one office. That office made more than that that entire year from them just in the overrides and maintaining of the contract. This sounds crazy to me, too, and I don't understand it. But, like, so if someone signs a DirecTV contract and they pay, DirecTV pays, in addition to a huge contract fee to Smart Circle just to do this, 300 per install, it just doesn't seem like a DirecTV install is worth that much they could afford to be paying like half of the, so, the revenue into sale. It seems like such a high commission. Well, you're, you're saying like, you're saying that DirecTV pays too much or what, what are you saying there? Yeah. It seems like, it seems like paying you guys $300 for a DirecTV when you were in the store and the well, guy I mean, was like, oh, I just made $300 and you're like, that seems too easy. Yeah. It does so, seem too easy. It is. It <laughs> seems like too much money for them to be paying for a DirecTV signup. It sounds like 10% seems like your finder's fee if you sell something, right? And like $300 doesn't seem like 10% of, it seems like a lot more. Yeah, so I'll, I'll break that down and again, make it make okay. it sense. So 
DirecTV, say again, to a regular third-party distributor, somebody who just wanted to sell DirecTV, you got a contract from them, they're gonna pay them, say, 400 to 420 to 450, depending on the quality of that business and maybe how much they wanna give them. And again, if they're gonna pay me 350, cool, Smart Circle made that 100 or plus or whatever it may be, extra money on top. AT&T, who owns DirecTV, is gonna make money regardless selling $400 to any of these type of businesses uh, with that payout because an average DirecTV customer had a two-year lifespan. Two-year lifespan, okay? Number crunching again. <laughs> Monthly for DirecTV, average is over $100, right? After that first year discount rolls off. So if a two-year lifespan is an average on a minimum customer and they paid us $400 and it was $100 a month, there you go, there's your numbers. <laughs> AT&T just made a fortune off of one customer. Sure, they paid out this, they had another distribution channel they had to pay out as well. That was nothing for them compared to the 2,000, 3,000 they made off that customer when they only paid 500 maybe at the very end of the day. Multiply times two, oh, how many customers on DirecTV? I think it was anywhere between four million, six million. I mean, that, that's some big number crunching right there. And then of course, uh, I actually got to hear from Mike, Mike Whitrock, which is the vice president of AT&T sales division, two times at different conferences. He would come in and talk about how important the relationship was between Smart Circle and AT&T. Uh, we ended up covering around, I think, and these numbers obviously could be fake, I don't know. I think it was like 20 or 30% of their overall marketing for all of DirecTV. We covered 30% of all DirecTV sales across the entire country. So to AT&T, we're crucial which is why they gave us later the contract for cell phones uh, with the Sam's Clubs nationwide. And Sam's Club wanted a piece of that as well because um, our test markets were phenomenal. We're good at making them money. So that's why the, everybody can make money here except for, boom, the owner. The owner. That definitely seemed to be the case with all the owners I'd seen come and go from Chattanooga in the last year and a half. Their offices were really small and they never seemed like they were able to build a big team. So even though Smart Circle was making money and DirecTV was making money, these offices failed. Can you explain a little bit more about how you can have a negative bank account? Yeah. I that mean, to me, like, is that a negative bank account? Like, They float you money, man. I mean, you're literally living on borrowed time, borrowed money. But if, I guess if you had a negative bank account and it's at Tennessee Valley Credit Union, don't they just close the account? Yeah. So, like, mine was like a U.S. bank. It was a normal bank. Um, so my bank account would go negative. So immediately when like it was projected to go negative, that's when the hub managers who again, of course are in communication with the regionals or nationals because they need to be, cause guess who they're going to borrow the money from. <laughs> so like when I would run out of money, for example, we had a really bad one week, say I had 3000 saved in the business account just from the last couple months. I was like, Hey, we're doing all right. 3000 is not a bad number to be sitting on when you're having a rough month. And then all of a sudden one terrible month happens and that's entirely gone. You just went to zero, not a joke. And the next week you just hit negative 2000. What would happen is you get a call from your hub manager going, Hey, uh, you kind of knew this call was coming. Um, do you have a defense for it? Like what happened? Are you going to be good next week? Do you have a better projection for installs? cool, we're going to get a national or regional on the phone real quick and we'll get this figured out. Bam, you get a regional on the phone. He goes, what happened, buddy? You good? All right, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to loan you $3,000. You're going to pay it back to me every month until you've got your back number back up. And that's what happened. And of course, when it does happen like that, you felt good. It felt like somebody had your back. They always talk about there's a support system and we've got your back if you go down. And at the time when you're out of money and these guys go, I'm going to literally cover your payroll. What were you going to pay yourself this week? 500 I'll give you 800. Don't worry about that extra. I, I got you here. And they pat you on the back and help you keep going. And But then you don't realize later on that, dude, that's probably half the offices. Hmm. So I don't understand. At that point, I started really wondering, how are they making money? And that's when, again, I was able to answer your question so well earlier on how they make money. I really dug into it early on because I was like, they can't be making much if I'm down t you know, 3,000 and he's down 3,000 and he's down 2,000. You know, there's no way. That's when I really took a better look at it. Like 90% of the owners across the country have to be in that situation because they all close. Like I follow them on Juicy Rhino. Oh, yeah. None of them. They don't stay open more than a year or two years at the most. Yeah, we all know? can't be the Heldago brothers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the Heldago brothers. <laughs> hey, great guys, man. I love those guys. Nice people, uh, but 
they're they're like some of the ones I'm talking about when I say like there are good owners out there. Like those guys were young. Uh, he was doing a great job. Brought his little brother or brought his twin in. He also got an ownership later on, and you know they're good at promoting people that are successful. There's a bunch of guys out there in the industry that I've still seen because I relooked at the website that are still there and they're actually still making money. I still have one buddy that's in the business doing well. Okay, so let me ask you this too: Is it possible that that's bullshit? Like everything is bullshit at every other level, and sort of just like as an owner. If your reps don't sell, you got to pay them out of your pocket. So now, you, like, technically you made that money, but you're broke because you're paying all these reps out of your own pocket for their non-sales. So now, you, now if, when you're the owner and you're in that situation and you're like, well, shit, now I'm negative two grand in my bank account and a, a regional consultant above you calls you up and is like, hey, I'm going to give you two grand, three grand to get you through this. And that's coming out of their pocket. Yeah, it is. Is it possible that everybody is in this bullshit Hey, I'm really rich, but I'm not because I'm having to pay everybody to continue paying into the system. I would say the majority are like that. Yeah. I mean, we were taught to say that we're making money and look at me and hey, look at my paychecks and stuff like my reps didn't know that most weeks I was paying them more than me. Your wage as an owner is paid out of your business account. So if your business account is profitable, you can pay yourself a quote unquote fair wage for the 80 hours a week you put in as an owner. If you're in the profit, that's 100% your money. But they are going to control where you spend it in a lot of different ways too, though, and make you spend it. How is that? Oh, conferences. Explain that a little more. Conferences. I mean, we get to go in these sweet R&Rs. Awesome. Yeah, paid for out of my own pocket. Like, we, hey, guys, we hooked you up. You're getting to go to Dominican Republic, and you have to pay $300, and it's mandatory. But don't worry. You're getting to go. And your flight's going to be like 800 but don't worry. Get excited. <laughs> so, like, like, so like things like that. Like you'd have to pay for your own things there. Any road trip scenarios at first, you know, you got to pay for your own gas and the hotels and all those things. But later on, as contracts grew and they needed us to be in more locations like myself, I took over two different states. I was running three states at my high point. And I was sending my guys every single day in a car on a road trip anywhere from two to five hours away to Sioux City, Iowa, and to uh, Mankato, Minnesota, every day for weeks at a time. <laughs> five? Wait, you were making them drive five hours away? And I away? was not paying them <laughs> for the gas. And I was like, guys, you sign up for this opportunity. If you want to go out there, you're going to go make that money. And if you want to make that money, you're going to go out there. <laughs> <laughs> so like they did it and again it's all about the psychology right and is is that a form of a buy-in i'm just trying to figure out like what is like how do they get you to like how are they making money and i guess are they making money by making you spend your own money on all these things yeah i mean correct so again if they can cover as little as possible and make the owner pay for as much as possible then they're going to make a higher profit margin there but if there's an owner who's not doing so well and they've got to cover a little bit more, that just means they made a little bit of a lower profit margin. They still made profit. By this point, Chase was working seven days a week, over 12 hours a day, recruiting in the office and selling in the field, motivating all of his recruits with daily meetings and being motivated himself with calls from others in the business. Yet in spite of his tremendous effort, was still losing money. So that's when I realized what they were saying necessarily wasn't true. I was like, well, you've told me that one before. You've told me that one before. I did that. I did that. I did that. I did that. And I'm still failing. So what's the problem? <laughs> Here's the, and that's the thing too, is it's like, okay, so I've met some of these owners in Chattanooga and I meet them. And the second I meet them, I'm like, you're helpless. Yeah. You're fucking in over your head. Usually untrained. No, it's not. It's not a judgment against them. It's just like I've seen enough of these businesses open to know that this one is going to fail in about six months, yeah. right? And like I'm talking to you, and you're—I can tell you're really good at sales. I'm hearing your stories about being in the field, and I like—I know you're better at sales than them. And like hearing your sales rankings, and like hearing the feedback that you were getting, like you weren't bad at your job. I mean, I was in the top. You 10%. were good at your. Let's job. just say that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, wait, brag about your success, quote unquote, success in the business. What are these metrics they're telling you you're a success when you're negative money in your account? So, thank like, you. Were you, were you a white rabbit or? Yeah, you, oh, you know the term. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, so tell 100%. me what a white rabbit is. Explain a white rabbit and me. how you were a white rabbit. No, it, it's somebody who leads the pack every week in sales. It's the guy that sets the pace. So if you can hit your five or seven sales on DirecTV a week, obviously, again, say you're getting 150 in installs and a rep, you're like, that's setting the pace for the reps. And if I do as an owner, then I'm proving to them anybody can do it. And my expression usually was, I have half the time you have in the field and I still make more sales. So is it really that you guys just didn't find the right people or maybe you still got more to learn? You know, there's so much more they had to keep learning and getting better at. And the biggest thing that set me apart from a lot of other people or set all white rabbits apart was just the drive. I mean, how motivated were you to make money? And for me, I was constantly thinking about money. I looked at every customer with a dollar sign on their head and I said, if I don't make this sale, I won't eat. And I swear to God, I did intermediate fasting for four or three years. I didn't eat lunch until about eight o'clock every single day. I had coffee and monsters and I, that's how I rocked because I told myself, if I don't make a sale, I'm not eating and I'm not going home until I make money because I know if I don't make a sale, my employees aren't going to do it for me because they suck. So I'm going to lose money today. And that was just such a defeating thing to go through every day that it just pushed me to always make a sale. <laughs> and so Chase, this hugely successful white rabbit in the top 5 or 10% of the whole company, quickly found himself in the position where his only options were to feed his employees or feed himself. And this probably explains why I've heard so many horror stories here in Chattanooga about people not getting their paychecks. Because I guess when you're faced with the option of paying your employees or feeding yourself, not every owner can be as ethical as Chase. But yeah, so, so like the point of talking about the white rabbit stuff is like, you weren't bad at this, like some of those people I've talked to. Oh yeah. Oh, I see you where were you're good going. at yeah. it, and your office still failed. So like, fuck, how can they sell this as a good opportunity when even really good, successful, talented people, by their own metrics, still fail. I think most of the smarter owners think that about 10% of all owners are going to make it. And even myself, I believe that. I was like, I'm in that top 10. I was like, I've made it this far, especially after like that third year mark. I was like, I've made it this far. I've seen so many people go in front of me that were my friends, that were doing better than me at some points, worse than me at others, and I made it through. So I thought at one point I can end up being that top, top tier percent. Now I see, again, like some of these example owners I've been naming off, that 10% that I imagined, it's legit like 1% of owners. 1% of the owners are actually making good money. They do make good money, but that's 1%. And there's no way I'm going to be fit in that 1% category when there's 350 offices. <laughs> and the other thing I've heard too from people over Juicy Rhino is they're like, yeah, my owner is a success and has a lot of money, but his family's rich. So it's also possible that these people... Oh, yeah. Eat- who are marketed as a success are just from rich families. So they can be hemorrhaging money and pay 10 grand to keep their office open. Cause it allows them the illusion, you know, that they're a successful CEO, like the other members of their family. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely know a few of those. Like, you know, just rich kids that grew up rich and they, you know, had nice stuff. They already came to the business with Alexis, you know, <laughs> they had to buy one <laughs> and they already had nice stuff. Uh, and it made them look better. And again, I even used some of that to my advantage. I had, you know, at 1.2 cars, both crappy cars, but I owned them. <laughs> so like, I was always telling my guys, dude, it's so much better to own a car. Why? Because they always said, why don't you buy a brand new car, man? I'm always like, nah, I don't need that. I got two. I don't need a new car. And then same with my suits. I had three suits by the time I opened my office because of, you know, free suits from promote, one free from promotion. Joseph Bank had to buy one, get one. So I got another two. You know, I had like three to four suits when I opened up. So my guys thought, oh, he's successful. He has four suits. <laughs> <laughs> well, if 1% of the people in the business are, quote unquote, actually succeeding, uh, and 1% of our population is super wealthy, maybe there's just a correlation between these people yeah. who are presenting themselves as rich pyramid masters and smart circle and the people who are just just rich already. And they're could be potentially just losing money, just paying money into the system to buy this prestige of this Instagram. I think, rich, you know, I, I think know. a few, well, if like for example, some of the guys, they're like, if you're a 10 year plus veteran, dude, there's no way you're not making money. If you stuck around that long, you know, like, and, and to have the cars they have or the stuff, the boats, the houses, some of these guys have, if you're, especially if you just, if you just hit regional, which is what everybody tries to do, um, counting, whoa, it's like seven of them seven or eight total regionals and there's two national consultants 
And that's what they say. That's what they want everybody to be. And every year they go, we're going to create five new ones. I didn't see them create but one. Wait, wait, hold on. Think about that for a second. They only created one. Out of the 350 offices in America, for each of the three years, the chase was in the business. So one out of about a thousand offices. So if you do the math, that doesn't translate to a success rate of 1%. It's 0.1%. What I'm curious about is the ways that like Smart Circle has you formally, informally spend money within the Smart Circle network. Like for instance, the social media people, like I follow some of them and like, I just looking through their old Instagram, I'm like, oh, she's married to a guy in the business. Yep. And that guy's been in the yep. business for like four years and she was an owner too for like six months mm -hmm. and then became a social media manager. And so technically she's an outside company, yep. but if all these SIDCOR companies are paying this SIDCOR, former SIDCOR employee, all this money to do websites for SIDCOR companies, it seems like it's just another way to continue putting money back into the SIDCOR family. I mean, would you not want to keep your money in-house? No, it makes perfect sense. But especially when I'm trying to like figure out how they make money off their employees, because if all these little things like a hub fee and a social media fee and uh, posting internet ads, I think you mentioned yeah. this one, or like if all these little things, it's like 50 bucks a week here for this, 50 bucks a week here for that, at the end of the year, you've put all this money, and they, you didn't write a check to Smart Circle, mm -hmm. but all that money went back into the Smart Circle ecosystem, which creates, which allows all these 350 businesses to open and close every year. Yeah. I'm going to label them like, let's go like two lanes here. There's going to be stuff that smart circle makes you pay for that. I would think smart circle owns, but then there's also going to be like collaborators. There's going to be third party people like say a guy that owns a website building company. Now the other lane, like I said, is stuff smart circle probably owns. And if not smart circle, cause that's just again, covering the veil it's who Larry Tenenbaum owns. It's who Mike T has a uh, stock in and, and these other guys probably have stock in, which would be some of these companies that they forced us to have. So to sell DirecTV, each year there was a new app that came out, right? We had to pay for that app to sell DirecTV. We had to use it and it was the only form of using it. Then uh, another thing came out that they said, and it was mandatory. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. How much do you have to pay for the app? I can't recall off the top of my head, but okay. like you was have it to... a monthly fee or like a weekly fee I, or did you I buy it once? I think it was a, I can't even remember. It's probably a buy it once thing, but it could have been a payment plan. Gotcha. That's one of those things again, that they just, they make you do. You let your hub know she takes care of it and you don't want to think about it again because you know you're paying money. And so the cycle continued. Once a new app was purchased, a new app would be developed to replace it. And that new app might require the purchase of some new hardware to run it. Hey, but don't worry, helpless, overworked, smart circle owner. We got a great deal for you. So now, all of a sudden, for every location I have, I have to have a brand new iPad. Not a Samsung, not the cheap stuff. It had to be an iPad. So they go, well, we got a pro you know, we got a partnership with Apple now. We're going to send you a link to get refurbished iPads at a good price. And they were, I got them for like 150 bucks. I bought eight iPads for 150 bucks. That is a steal, honestly. Um, but it was mandatory. And this is one of those things that kept popping up. So in my mind, like I said, I split it between two things. There's gonna be the third party people they're working with, collaborators slash outsiders, and people they're outsourcing to to get things done within Smart Circle. And then there's the companies that have been working with, I'm sure, this entire organization and the Larry Tenenbaum organizations and stuff for forever and they have been developing internal guidelines they have been developing the training modules and there i just thought of it ownerville that is the thing that we had to pay monthly for as well and when the price went up we had to pay for it what's ownerville ah so this is what smart circle used as kind of like a management website where you could have all the training docs for DirecTV, CenturyLink, all the products that you could possibly sell under that umbrella, as well as it has all of your employees, all basic information. That's where you, you created, stored, and sent their I-9s, W-2s. Yeah, that seems like basic HR, right? But the business even thought of a way to make their owners pay them for the privilege of submitting their employees' tax information. Which seems kind of unnecessary in the first place, since a guy like Chase is theoretically running his own independent marketing firm with his own independent payroll. 
How much did it cost? Do you remember? Ten bucks a month. Not too much, but it's just one of those things that that's where it started at and probably went up to like 50. Sterling, it started at 70 bucks a week, went up to uh, like 180. It was ridiculous. An 80, 180 bucks a week? Oh, yeah, yeah. To use an app? Yeah, to use the background stuff, which, of course, we had to by law uh, for a couple of the clients that we had. So when you realize how low the pay is and how hard you've got fucked by your bosses and how unlikely it is that you're ever going to see any return on your investment of time and money, why do so many people stay in the business? I mean, the best owner, the best owners are Jedi. I mean, they're really, really good at psychology and understanding how to get people to do whatever it is they want. And I, you know, I'm not going to say that I wasn't and I, or that I was that good at it, but I mean, dude, I got people to get in cars and drive five hours completely for free because that man came to Minnesota for weeks in a row. You, you just, I mean, once you get good at the psychology of how to motivate and how to get people to do things and you know, you could really do that. And I hate to say that what we taught the reps was exactly what the owner did to the reps. How we sold the customer was how we sold the business. The exact pitch I gave a customer was the exact pitch I gave the the rep I was about to hire. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> which which ultimately gets to this point that I try to like see or what I feel in my heart, and I'm just trying to understand is that like ultimately they are the employees are the customers. You're selling the business to yeah. the employee. Yeah, we've we've we heard that uh, a few times, and you know, even in like not secret owner calls, but I mean, there are owner calls that you have with other owners where you talk about stuff that they don't want you to talk about, of course, like with Bundy owners of mine. Uh, and there's also calls you have with like regionals and nationals and they break it down and yeah, and actually, uh, you're going to promote 20 and you're going to lose 20. Like they'll actually have those conversations with you and you're going to go, wait, what? I thought a minute ago, like everybody's successful. <laughs> no, like they, they tell you the truth eventually, but that by that point you're so invested in it. You're like, well, I got to do it now. Yeah. It's on the cost. You can't back out because you put so yeah. much into it. And you got to sell this guy on this opportunity. And if I need to make my paycheck this week, then I, I'm sorry, buddy, but I have to sell you on this opportunity. Like, I need you to do this because I need something from it, too. But then I'm going to tell them it's all for you. It's <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to give them, what is it, the uh, indifference. You're going to be like, but whatever, I can find somebody dude, else dude, it doesn't tomorrow. matter if you don't do it. Yeah, I mean, no biggie for me. <laughs> Your loss, not making a thousand a week, not mine. <laughs> and they're, Did you they're ever? Be like, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> Did you ever get to uh, get one of those big oversized novelty checks? No, I wish. Those are real, man. <laughs> like, I want a real bonus. Are you kidding me? I see those like, pictures fake, and it's but, incredible. Like, those guys actually got those checks. <laughs> I was kind of mad. I never made any overrides. Both my outside deals failed. And that's when I learned later, that's the scam that they're really pulling on owners. Is they promote you that you need to promote other people because you're going to really make money with overrides as an owner. That three cents on every sale he makes, man, that's going to add up at the end of the year, <laughs> I swear. So, like, like, that's how they sell the owner on, keep going, man, you're going to make overrides soon. And, yeah, once you get that first side sale deal, you think you're going to do it, and they fail, they're like, that's an anomaly, man. <laughs> he was the only one that failed. Like, you're fine, do it again. <laughs> and in the meantime, they just made a quick mill because they just had a market cover for eight months, sold a bunch of stuff at that market, and I didn't make anything, and I lost my $7,000 investment. And my guy quit because he was like, oh, he gave up, just like most owners do. They just give up. Oh, yeah, that's what you had one outside deal, right? Well, too, I literally was begging them every week to just please make a sale. And I had to go out there and work my joke in eight to eight just to make sure I made one or two to keep myself fed and to pay them. Because I felt bad if now I'm on the hook and I got to make sure they get a paycheck. I mean, like these guys have families and kids. If I don't pay them, their kid doesn't eat. So I felt like this heavy weight of responsibility of I have to make these sales to feed these guys. Because they're not going to do it themselves. These are my children at this point. I'm the adult here. And God, they don't know how to kill any animals in the wild. I got to go do it myself. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh <laughs> that's how I felt. But that's when I was like, at that point, by like, again, a whole year of that, a full year of that was by that breaking point for me, really. So by that third year mark, I was like, dude, I have not made the money I wanted to make. I have not made more than, I haven't made a single year I made more than $40,000 at all. Not even close. I think my top year was 37. I was extremely upset. As an owner, that is. Because remember I told you in my eight months as a rep, I made 56. Or what was it? No, not 56. It was, 
48,000. Yeah, I made 48,000 in those eight months as a rep. And then as an owner, I didn't make more than 38. <laughs> Tell me about when you found Juicy Rhino. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, part of... I'll give you a little credit there. You, you want to take some credit, I'll give it to you because, yeah, <laughs> it was partly you. Um, so I was still in that, th- that third year, kind of already in my head, just mad about a lot of things, and I found Juicy Rhino. And I thought it was a Smart Circle-owned page. I thought it was an owner doing it because it was, like, really funny stuff. And it was, like, nothing crazy negative at first. It was just all, like, really funny, relatable things about, like, oh, yeah, when you go to the field and you pump out numbers, something, something joke, right? Or, you know, oh, you're an owner and you got to put this fake face on and roll up in your terrible Honda. But, hey, man, I'm getting a BMW next week. <laughs> just, you know, it was, like, funny stuff. That, what he just talked about right there, was all intentional. You see, when I started Juicy Rhino, I wanted my memes to be more playful and less critical. Then, once I built me a trusting audience, I figured I'd start slipping in some more critical messages. You know, the kind of negativity the business works so hard to shield its members from. I messaged you eventually when you you had a really negative one. It was like super negative about owners and like being in the business. Like, dude, what the hell? I was like, fuck you. So <laughs> I messaged you. I was like, hey, man. I was like, that seemed like pretty negative. Blah, blah, blah. Like, who are you? And you just sent me back with the, you know, your juicy rhino personality of, oh, no, don't worry, man. I make millions. I'm in the business. I got a yacht. Yeah, it's all paid for by the business. I'm like, right, funny, man. Like, who are you? Like, what organization you in? Like, where, what office you from? And you just kept BSing me, and I left it alone for a while. A couple months later, again, still following it. I even, dude, I shared it with my reps. I was like, this is funny, follow the shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I think a lot of owners right now currently do that too, because they don't know any better. Uh, they don't know that you're against, obviously, anti. But <laughs> we thought it was funny shit. And then again, I see some more negative ones, and I'm like, eh, it's pretty negative. By then, I'm already a little negative about the business because of all the unfairities that kept popping up. So many unfair factors I had zero control over kept fucking me over every week. Installer, no call, no show. Or, oh, I got a pay decrease. Oh, to staff that Costco, yeah, we're going to give you $500 a week. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's gone. Yeah, you don't get any money anymore. But go ahead and staff it. Make sure you staff those 65 hours. What the hell? <laughs> like... That was covered before. Now I have to cover it? So, like, so many unfair things that just kept recurring, that's what really got me thinking, like, what the hell? Something's, something's wrong here. I'm starting to get nagged out really heavily. And then, again, messaging you a few more times. And then I saw it. One random person commented on one of your posts something about Devil Corp. Devil Corp. Devil Corp. It's a pretty simple, pretty basic WordPress blog with a name that, at first anyways, struck me as kind of hyperbolic. But it's definitely the best resource out there for information on the business, from its history to its current membership to news articles and info about lawsuits from all over the world. And as I scroll, it didn't take but two seconds to see Mike T and Michael Mariesh, and I was like, hold the fucking phone. I was like, who? And I keep scrolling, man. I see all the guys I know. Like, again, Hill Doggos, but all these dudes that are like top owners are on this page. And then I start reading more into it, and it's like, Sidcore's on here too. That's our competition. And that's what really threw me off because Smart Circle taught me in my first couple years, Sidcore is our competitor. They taught me that we don't mess with them. Don't talk to those guys because they lie. They don't pay the reps right. They steal and all sorts of stuff. So I was like, yeah, fuck them. And I was like, that's the competitor. And this website lets me know a little bit of information. Like, wait, wait a minute. Larry Tenenbaum's wife is the head, what, president or owner of Sitcore? Wait a minute, he owns Smart Circle, but his wife owns Sitcore. What the <laughs> fuck? And that was a big, like, holy shit moment for me. Uh, and that's when I started realizing you were a little bit right on the head when, yeah, all these guys know each other. Of course, all these competitors are the same fucking groups of people. It's Larry Tenenbaum and all of his buddies from 40 years ago have just branched out and have literally learned the secret of their success. Have zero liability for anything you fuck up. Make sure it's all on these owners. And that is how they stay protected. All liability from uh, owner messing up is on that owner and that business. That's why they split into different groups and categories. They can now completely dodge all negative bullets in anything that goes wrong and can, can blame it on an owner. A few months after he initially DM'd me, Chase told me he'd had enough. And he was finally leaving the business. 
Yeah, and it was a small world, and you knew my old roommate, and we know each other. And I swear, again, still to this day, that we've at least seen each other at a bar once or twice back in the day. Chase said that he and my weed dealer are once again buds. Buds. Get it? Weed dealer. And that it's really nice to get to hang out and go hiking again. But while he was in the business, that simply wasn't possible. He said that none of his friends from back home ever came out to visit him during the years he was in South Dakota. And in all that time, he was a CEO. He never had the free time or the money to go home once. This is why I think it's Devil Corp. Why that name is so appropriate. <laughs> is that you're in that situation where you have no money, you're stressed, you're working more hours than anybody should ever work, you're getting paid less than minimum wage, you're making less than you were when you started, but the only way that you can hope to get a return on your investment is to convince everybody you meet that you're a fucking success. And that and, they have to do it too. <laughs> and that to me is like really crazy psychological pressure to put you under. Like you, They train you to live a lie and to be miserable and unhappy but lie about how successful and happy you are to trick other people into doing it. Yeah, it's programming. I mean, it's just like any other programming that you're, you know, born with from we learn from Hollywood or social media or regular media. It's things that they're going to teach you. It's just early on in that business, they really put it in your head. I mean, that's all you go over. That's why they make you get on all these calls. That's why they make you go to all the conferences. That's why they make you have a call with a rep or a positive attitude guy like once a week. Because if your attitude's down and they find out, they're going to make sure they guild you back up. You have to live and breathe the business. And if you don't, then they're going to find a way to get rid of you quickly. And the suckers that, like, again, are just either driven or motivated or, or just aren't quitters, like myself usually, God, we're going to get dragged along for quite some time. Let me ask you this. Okay, so here's another thing. This is my, I think this is my last question. But like I said, when what was so tantalizing to me about this when I started getting into it and made me want to be like, is this true? And try to find people to talk to is that is that so many people who call it Devil Corp and get out of it compare it to a cult. So I'm kind of curious, do you think it's a cult or it's cult-like or what would you call it a cult? Well, speaking that we live like, what, a couple blocks away from a cult, Yellow Deli, 12 tribes. Uh, <laughs> I have a little experience on this, uh, more than most would on cults, right? Uh, no, not they're not the same thing as that kind of cult. Um, but the way that they push ideology... Their programming of what they're trying to shape you into, and then, you know, some of the phrases they make you say, juice, you know, like, get excited, and all these different things. Like, I can see how, like, it could be compared to a cult. And they've had 40 years to master it. And I think after 40 years of doing it over and over, you start to perfect it a little bit. And I think that's why they are still in business, why they do so well, and why they've even fooled other companies like ATT, Verizon, these big, big, big companies that they're legit because they've got numbers and statistics to prove it and they've got the feet on the ground. And at the end of the day, all the, if that's all you know, the client cares about is their bottom line and these guys can provide that increase in their bottom line, they don't care how it's being done, who's getting hurt, and what psychology behavior patterns they're going to have to apply to get there. They got their bottom line driven and that's business. Well, thank you so much. Okay, that's it. I can't think of anything else. I'm going to hit stop on my recorder here. But Since Chase and I first spoke, the COVID-19 pandemic has reshaped every aspect of American life. I asked him what effect he thought it was having on the business. And he said it was probably catastrophic for lots of owners. And all those national and regional consultants will likely be pouring more and more of their money into the remaining owners to try to keep the recruitment machine going and to keep the stores staffed so they can maintain those contracts. Like I said, it's been a year and a half since Equip Marketing Solutions appeared on my radar. And in that time, they've gone out of business. And so has Mid-Tennessee Events and Mid-Tennessee Executives and Paramount Consulting and Prominent Business Solutions, VP Rush, Grand Elite Marketing, Intensity, and Lion Legacy. Most of these owners are still in the business. But since 2020, we haven't had a new office here in Chattanooga. The Costco employees told me they were sending some teams down from Nashville for a while, but they eventually stopped. And now, the DirecTV kiosk 
has been permanently removed. I can't do a straight face. It's been so long. <laughs> In case you forgot, this is my long-suffering wife, who a year and a half ago made the mistake of asking me to look into Equip Marketing Solutions, that mysterious marketing company that had taken over her office share. We were, this is the kitchen table we sat at a year and a half ago, and you were like... What is this guy's deal? No, it was two years, almost two years ago. Yeah, it was October yeah. 2018. Um... When you asked me to look into that, did did you think it was going to be this complicated? <laughs> no. No, not at all. Are you sick of talking about Smart Circle? <sighs> like, it came in waves. I would get, like, burnt out by it. And I know that you could always tell because I'd be like, uh-huh, 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 <laughs> okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but then it would get interesting again and I would kind of... Ebb and flow, I guess. Kind of like my podcast, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with my actress friends, Sunflower and Taylor Smith. Sunflower? That was the name that she picked. That's the only thing I can think of. It's a beautiful name. You're a sunflower. Oh, shut up. It's okay. Okay, I'm changing my name to Cadence. Cadence? <laughs> I'm here with Taylor Smith and, and Cadence. Cadence. <laughs> um... It's been like a year and a half since I started working on my project no, about not. Smart Circle. Oh, it is? Dang. Is there anything you'd like to say to anyone listening to this podcast about Smart Circle before they go? Yeah, move on with their <laughs> life like me. Um, I hope you have a gooshy booshy life. <laughs> Thank you, Cadence. <laughs> thank chase for sharing his awesome story with me and everybody else who reached out to me over juicy rhino and sent me a story i love getting those so send me more thanks to tommy santa claus for the scary cold music and Lele roots for the getting had music giant use some of his awesome songs thanks to my weed dealer for being i don't know like the linchpin of everything that's unbelievable um and thanks to you for listening to my podcast <laughs>